Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Welcome back to the program. Coming to you live from Jayco Australia's St. Mary's headquarters. We're on Glossop Street. We are the biggest dealership, or they are, the biggest dealership in New South Wales. Time now to talk the business of sport. We love doing that with our friends at Freshwater Strategy. One of the directors you've heard from him before, Jonathan Fleck, he's been good enough to join me on the line. G'day, Jono. G'day, Jimmy. How are you? Mate, I'm really well. I'm enjoying uh, Jayco. You should see this caravan behind me. It's absolutely deluxe. And it's yours for about $107,000. So I know you'll be keeping here shortly uh, to buy one, Jono. Hey, um, let's talk a little bit of basketball. We're seeing uh, a blockbuster this weekend. It's uh, Melbourne United taking on the Sydney Kings. The growth of basketball in this story is one of the really interesting uh, really interesting stories about that sport. Um, where does freshwater strategy come into this? Because a lot of teams, most notably the National Rugby League, talking about expansion. Is the NBL looking to expand its horizons? Yeah, absolutely, Jimmy. The uh, the contest between Melbourne United and Sydney Kings will be uh, well attended, mate. I think you know the two top teams in the league facing off. Um, there's been a lot of build up, I think, particularly coming out of COVID. You know, NBL was for anyone who was really tuning in. NBL was building very heavily in the years prior to COVID, and it's just uh, just made an amazing you know sort of uh, you know entry uh, you know post post COVID and. The uh, it's reflected in the viewerships. It's reflected in the attendance attendees uh, at matches as well. I mean, you'd be hard pressed uh, finding other sport in Australia that's growing as quickly as basketball, either either at grassroots level or at professional uh, end of the competition. So yeah, absolutely. Larry, Larry Kesselman, owner of owner of the league, uh, you know, definitely expansion divestment is um, is on the agenda. Uh, given the strength of the current franchises uh, in the in the competition, so that's a really interesting one too. And and what we see with most sports and the very popular sports in this country, Jonathan, is that they Australian fans want to see the best. Now we know we don't have the best basketballers in the world. They're at the NBA, and Paul Smith, the owner of the Sydney Kings, he describes the NBL as an intersectional league. So there's there's guys on their way to the NBA, and there's guys coming back from the NBA, and all the other competitions around the globe. Have they found their niche? Uh, within the Australian sporting landscape, to be able to balance that and talk about the great things that are happening in the NBL, as well as, hey, we're a springboard to elsewhere. Absolutely, Jimmy. You know, I, I think that you'd be you'd be comfortable saying it's the second best basketball league in in the world now. Um, there's a whole range of reasons for that, but the Next Stars program uh, that facilitates talent out of the US in high schools directly into uh, into the NBL is now a, a route into the NBA draft that circumvents the college system in the US. Now, you know, you've got these young young players who'd rather just get uh, paid to play um, and earn a living um, in the NBL and, and actually be playing in a, in a highly competitive format and they're skip, skipping straight over college. Um, 
So there's a lot of advantages for that for for young talent out of the US, and I think there's like eight players now in the Next Stars program. Um, that that program's growing all the time, and so yeah, expect to see more Australian NBA uh, talent, uh, well Australian talent and uh, you know M- Next Stars talent going through the MBL system and into the NBA through the draft. Uh, expert over in the US did his top 100 draft picks for next year, and there were eight players who were in the NBL that he identified. I think Alexander Saar at the Perth Wildcats, he's a top 10 choice. So um, that goes to show the strength of the NBL. What about a new franchise in the NBL? What uh, Darwin, is that being looked at as an option? Do they have the infrastructure? Do they have the support locally from government, et cetera, to be able to sustain an NBL franchise? Yeah, absolutely, Jimmy. You know, I'm pretty long on the Darwin opportunity. Um, there's a NBL one team up there called the Salties. They've only been in the competition for two years, but like a lot of the franchises in the smaller markets, they're really dominating that small market. I mean, there is no tier one uh, franchise of any description in the Northern Territory, and so the Salties have just stepped into that um, that opportunity and started to own it. The um, in the two years that they've been playing, they've had the highest level of uh, online watching uh, and also the highest attendances of any MBL one club. And look, this, you know, there, there are a number of uh, locations that the MBL could look to expand into. And I would say Darwin may not be necessarily the num- the top of the list. Um, there's others like a second Sydney franchise, a Gold Coast franchise, Canberra um, that are in the mix. There's uh, occasional talk about a third Melbourne franchise as well, but the things that's going for Darwin is that the Northern Territory government is incredibly um, strong on this. Um, they're they're doing what they need to do to make it all possible. And um, for anyone who's been observing, you know, there's been a lot of backwards and forwards between the MBL uh, executives heading up there to Darwin to uh, to talk, and also NT government officials have been flying down to Melbourne uh, to, for talks as well over the last eighteen months, two years. So the groundwork's being laid. Um, the big the big question is around venue, um, and I yep. understand the Darwin Convention Centre there with some upgrades would be suitable uh, to get it up to five thousand, which is kind of the minimum number you need to uh, to have an MBL franchise. So once that uh, once that sort of piece of the puzzle is solved, um, I reckon you know you might see a, a Darwin franchise in the national comp. Uh, and that's the other thing too. It's a compelling story that you can tell uh, a lot of the youngsters in the Northern Territory. We are the only sport where you don't have to leave us to reach the highest level. So, you know, AFL, NRL, whatever it happens to be, cricket. Um, but if the NBL, that's a that's a really good story to tell. Hey, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about uh, was really interesting. And, and we talked about live golf and what it meant for the PGA. And w- when that comes together, we just have to wait and see. But the UFC seemed to be under a fair bit of pressure. There's a class action being undertaken by 1,200 MMA athletes, and, and a lot of it is around distribution of profits and distribution of revenues. The interesting thing is that some of them, like Conor McGregor, have gone to boxing and seen, well, hang on a minute, I get this percentage of total revenue. What do you think the outcome is going to be for the UFC, and where do you see the opportunity associated with that, Jonathan? Yeah, Jimmy, this is a real, um, I think it's a real miscalculation by the UFC. And, uh, you know, end of the day, they're monopolistic in the MMA space, have been for a number of years now globally. Um, they've used that monopolistic power to really um, to apply some pressure on their on their athletes and their fighters. Um, so I'll give you a few kind of comparison points. Uh, so 
most major uh, you know tier one sports, particularly out of the US, will pay roughly about half, about forty five to fifty percent of their overall revenue pie to the athletes. Um, boxing is even higher. Uh, boxing yeah. sort of averages much closer to seventy percent. Um, and I'd love to see if you can guess how much the UFC uh, uh, fighters get paid. Have a guess. I, I actually know this because I read the article. I think it's thirteen or fourteen percent. That's right. Yeah, about thirteen to fifteen percent yeah. go to go to the fighters. So look, I think um, the chickens are coming home to roost for the UFC. There's this class action uh, case that's been filed in Nevada, um, where twelve thousand fighters um, who who uh, competed right up to twenty seventeen have joined that class action. And the judge in the case has said, bring it on, bring it on. Um, so that will be heard next year um, in the US. And their claim on the UFC is $800 million, up oh. to $1.6 billion. So even in the UFC terms, that's a lot of money. And don't forget, there's another class action that's been lodged as well for, to represent fighters um, who, uh, who, who, who fought from 2017 onwards. So that hasn't even really started to move through the courts yet. So look, this... Look, if, if it's in any way successful, uh, it could really impact the... Not to mention the competitive pressure now that uh, the professional fighters league, the PFL, is applying on the UFC to, just like Liv, pay the players properly, bring them across, and set up a rebel league. And um, there's uh, some indications with people like Francis Nagano and others who are coming across the PFL saying, of course, we want to be paid properly. Um, the UFC uh, also has no players' union. So, look, I mean, you know, the the, the fighters are, um, you know, some of them would struggle to make ends meet, the vast majority of them, I suspect, given all the yeah. costs associated with fighting itself, training and physio and uh, travel associated with, uh, with being an MMA fighter. So, yeah, I think watch this space. But I think between the class action lawsuit, which sounds like it's got some legs in the US and some competition finally through the PFL, which is being rolled out globally, the UFC's got a bit of pain to come. PFL event in Australia anytime soon, Jono? Yeah, absolutely. We we think uh, probably 12 to 18 months. Uh, well, let's say, uh, you know, perhaps there could be championship uh, matches, some marquee matches, uh, you know, bouts held here uh, next year in Australia. And then the establishment of a proper, uh, you know, kind of regional uh, championship that's established going forward from 2025. Um, yeah, the, the PFL is very focused on the way that they are established globally is that they set up regions uh, and The five regions. So um, the Australian one is sort of moving along, and uh, there's some significant interest from investors uh, who are interested, particularly the Australian play. Uh, you know, around, around what the PFL can bring. And look, don't underestimate the Saudi money. Just like Live Golf um, did, and the way that that sh was shaking up the world of, or continues to in many ways, shake up the world of golf. The uh, the the whole you know counterfactual there is uh, what the hundred million dollars from the Saudis is doing in directly into the PFL. So expect a lot of that money to be uh, put into acquiring the talent, bringing the fighters across, big marketing spends to see if they can make a splash and make some uh, make some headway on the UFC in the very first years. Always something happening in the business of sport. As always, freshwater strategy right at the cutting edge of it, mate. As always, Shono, great to have a chat, mate. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you, Jimmy. You too.